Hello everybody, this is Michael Kaplan, your host for The Ephemeral Machine, um, coming to you from the, uh, our studios on the beautiful campus at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I published the inaugural episode a couple days ago, and uh, I gotta say the response has been very positive, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled, uh, in fact, with the kind of response that it has gotten. A lot of people have shown some real interest in listening to the podcast and investing some time into it, which is terrific. So um, looking at that and realizing that the best way to um, kind of use that energy is to sort of continue uh, using that energy and sort of uh, using that trajectory and moving in a, in a specific direction, I decided that it might be appropriate to release a, uh, an, a sort of an addendum um, podcast and call it something like um, episode 1A or something along those lines. Um, especially since the first episode, the inaugural episode was actually um, really purely an intro to kind of give everybody a sense of, uh, of what I hope to achieve uh, uh, as this uh, podcast continues to evolve and um, sort of set the guidelines and uh, the mission statement and so on and so forth. And the other thing I realized is it would be nice if perhaps I took the opportunity and talked a little bit about my collection since uh, I'm hosting this podcast and I've um, kind of modeled it in a very specific way. Um, the least I could do is um, sort of get the ball rolling and talk about uh, my collection of film cameras um, in uh, sort of a, a, a brief uh, introduction to that. Uh, so um, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has listened up to this point. Um, obviously, this podcast is still in its infancy, and uh, I look forward to seeing its growth in the next few months. Um, next on the agenda, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about names, um, not a, particularly any one person's name, but um, the name of the podcast, actually. Um, the Ephemeral Machine, uh, full call-in, a podcast about uh, collecting cameras. Uh, and it's actually the Ephemeral Machine that uh, caught the notice of uh, some of the listeners and some of the readers. Um, and I had an interesting uh, chat, a very productive chat with a uh, photographer that you may uh, know, um, Johnny Martyr, who is um, a, um, a well-known um, and very, very talented uh, film photographer um, who uh, we see on our uh, Facebook groups uh, periodically. And um, Johnny posted that he was curious about the name because um, the camera itself, uh, the film camera itself, uh, is not actually, uh, or could not be considered ephemera, uh, simply by virtue of the fact that it, it doesn't cease to exist. It actually continues to exist, clearly. Um, and our collections are the evidence of that existence. Um, so you, you wouldn't necessarily call a camera ephemeral, but you would call the things that were certainly connected to the camera. And this is one of the things that I hope to uh, approach and talk about on the podcast, which is the associated material that helps us to understand the history, uh, the lineage, and how we are connected to these um, film cameras through advertising and uh, instruction manuals and um, accessories and so on and so forth. 
So the camera in and of itself is not uh, or could not be considered ephemera. However, um, when I considered the title of the podcast, I really looked at this and I realized that at least for me, the momentary instance when the camera uh, shoots that photograph or uh, makes that image, that is in fact ephemeral because it, um, it, it functions and exists um, instantaneously and uh, in a moment. Um, so I started to think about the, the, the function of the camera, the film camera, and I realized that it, it sort of manufactures this moment. Um, quite simply, it is the apparatus through which we create the ephemeral moment, that is the photograph. Um, and uh, as it manufactures these things, uh, I would say that it functions as sort of a machine, as you would go into a factory and work with machines and so on and so forth. Thus, the title of the podcast, The Ephemeral Machine, uh, which uh, reflects on my own perspective. And uh, uh, I presented this to Johnny uh, in a response, and he felt that, um, that it was certainly a suitable uh, answer. And, um, and I, I, I was glad to get the question. So uh, thank you, Johnny, for the, um, the question and for investing um, time into asking me the question. Um, and I, I think it's interesting, you know, I, I have to say, um, uh, I know Johnny Martyr's work, uh, and one of the things um, about his photography, um, it's beautiful photography, and his wedding photography is, is lovely. And from what I understand, he shoots a lot of this wedding photography using Barnack Leicas, which it, to me is, is sort of so interesting because you are using... Um, a camera which uh, potentially could uh, be very difficult to load or to operate, obviously not in Johnny's hands, but uh, many of us uh, look at a Barnack Leica and we question um, you know, the bottom loading and so on and so forth, and yet here is a photographer who has uh, advanced the use of this camera in, in uh, this particular style and has um, you know, really created a, um, a new aesthetic a new aesthetic. And so uh, I found it interesting to think about that in terms of uh, ephemera and that moment, that instantaneous moment. And I would never, I would not uh, ever uh, venture into a wedding photography scenario using a Barnack Leica only because of my limited experience. And for the most part, every time I've used any of my, um, my Barnack style, cameras, and uh, I don't actually own a Leica, but uh, this would be any of the Feds, the early Feds or Zorkies that I do own. Um, I struggled with the loading and found myself um, wondering every time if I advance to the next frame, I'm actually advancing or shredding the film. Uh, and I have had some success using the cameras uh, on a limited basis. Um, so I give uh, Johnny a lot of credit for using these cameras in a situation where um, finesse and expertise is uh, really the uh, calling card for um, productivity. Um, the only thing I can think of um, analogous to using a Barnack Leica to shoot a wedding would be something like um, uh, writing your uh, doctoral thesis um, using something like an Osborne One. Um, and if you don't know what an Osborne One is, uh, you can turn to your Google search engine and um, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, so 
onto my collection. Um, as I said earlier in um, this particular episode, uh, I realized that it would probably be appropriate at least to introduce my collection uh, to the listening audience um, as some sort of reference point. Um, after all, uh, this podcast is about collecting cameras, so um, as a camera collector, I should um, uh, kind of put my collection out there for, um, for, for perusal. And the way I, I decided to do this is um, not to go over, obviously, every single camera that I own, but I, I took some um, photographs of the, my uh, camera room and the, the various um, shelves of cameras, and I'm going to post them uh, on Instagram, and I'm also going to post them uh, as soon as I have the newly formed The Ephemeral Machine website up and running. I'll post those um, uh, as well in that arena, and I will um, provide links and show notes and things of that nature. The idea then being that as I reference my collection, you can then look at a photograph and kind of see what I'm talking about. But I don't want to spend uh, too much time uh, talking about the collection simply because, um, you know, we're going to hopefully be spending time together uh, in future episodes uh, talking about the specifics of some of the celebrated collectors that uh, we know and are familiar with, and some that perhaps we don't know and aren't familiar with. And um, there'll be plenty of time to talk about the individual cameras and those lines um, that are presented to us. But I, I, as I said, I, I do kind of want to give you a brief overview of my collection. Um, my particular collection, which now is oh, slightly over 200, 250 cameras. Uh, I've been collecting for about a decade. And as I mentioned in the um, uh, introductory uh, broadcast, the inaugural broadcast, uh, it began with the discovery of a Yashica 44, a 127 TLR, still in its box. And when I mean in its box, I mean in remarkable condition, still in it. The case was like new. I, I'm not sure the camera had ever actually been used. Um, and it was one of those things where when you find it and you purchase it, you realize that um, you clearly um, made the purchase not just because you were a photographer, but there was something that connected you to this apparatus, something that you found um, quite beautiful uh, as well as functional. And if you ever had the occasion to um, you know, pick up and take a look at a Yashica 44, um, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's a very nice little camera. Um, it's the smaller version of the 124 format Yashica TLR line. Uh, it's very compact. Um, this one had um, blue leatherette, so it was very attractive. And um, I felt like it deserved a place uh, of display. So it wound up, as I said, on the mantle of our fireplace in our home. And oddly enough, I, I I have um, uh, occasionally attempted to uh, uh, litter, let's just say, or disperse a few different cameras around the living room, um, um, unbeknownst to my wife. Um, so, um, you know, I'll maybe drop a, a, uh, um, a Voigtlander Vito um, B somewhere on a shelf in the living room or on some of the display case or something, the break front or something along those lines. And um, 
uh, only to have that camera sort of, uh, sort of gingerly removed and, and handed back to me so that I can replace it in the camera room where they're all displayed. Uh, the Yashica 44 um, represents something uh, very distinct. And um, I think it's um, the aesthetic, the way that it's put together, um, the, the size, everything about it just seems to work in terms of um, a relationship between the photographer and the camera itself. So uh, it's very special to me and I'm glad that um, I get to look at it as I walk through our house. Um, okay, so my collection, and I am going to kind of move through this pretty quickly, uh, just so that you guys can get a very, very sort of brief overview of the scope of my collection. Um, and this is something that can be referenced later on in future episodes when we talk about specific camera models and things like that. And um, as host, I, I won't hold back if I, if I uh, share a common um, interest or passion with a collector that I happen to be speaking with. Um, but I, I want the podcast to be focused on the collector, the person who has um, stepped into this world and become part of a connection between uh, themselves and uh, this, this tool of photography. And what it is exactly does it mean to, um, to gather these and present them in such a way as they can be looked at, understood, processed, and revered. Um, so when I walk into my camera room, and uh, it's a fairly small room, about eight by eight, it is um, um, obviously a, a wonderful room for me. And uh, uh, it is, there's a phenomenon that sort of takes place. And, and I wonder um, if any of you sort of share this. But um, I can walk into this room and simply stand there and look around and sort of soak in um, the um, the atmosphere, the connection that I have between these cameras. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't have a great memory for things. Um, um, you know, I have a hard time recalling uh, short-term and long-term things, and that just comes from um, age, I'll, I'll have to say. Um, and I don't um, pride myself on being too being able to, to remember things in a, in a uh, uh, productive way. I mean, I remember facts and things like that and, you know, film theory, things that are, I, I find interesting I can, and I connect with, I remember. But, um, you know, if you ask me, you know, what I was supposed to pick up at the store uh, when I walked into the store, there's a good chance that if I didn't write it down, I wouldn't remember it. But I must say that when I walk into this room, uh, I can actually remember where I got these cameras from. The, uh, the connection to the person who sold it, the interaction, um, perhaps the, the feeling of um, winning that auction, uh, the, the feeling of uh, getting the camera back from somebody who maybe has done some work on it. Um, I do work on my own cameras. Um, so that feeling of success, if I was able to correct a minor problem or even a major one. Um, so as I look around the room, I can sort of pinpoint these feelings. And it's, it's very special to me. It's, it, it, it's, it's um, 
almost otherworldly. Uh, I, I, I got to say, there's a, a um, I, I can't quite describe it, but I, I find myself sort of lost in this uh, almost bliss of connecting to all these different cameras. Um, so my collection is made up of um, several different um, sort of regions of, of, um, of film manufacturing, film camera manufacturing, plus some very sort of specific lines. And I, I got to say, I, I am, um, I'm sort of the, there are times when I am sort of the collector of the, of the, of the, of the common camera. Um, um, I, I enjoy uh, collecting um, things that were used by uh, um, the masses, um, uh, certainly as uh, for a camera to be used on a mass communication scale, but also um, to be in the hands of a lot of people. Um, there was a time when I, previous to this um, existence, and I collected wristwatches, and uh, my focus was on the Timex um, through and through. And um, I kind of left behind uh, the, the, the more, um, the, the Hamiltons and things like that, only to focus my attention on that uh, watch company, which seemed to be um, connected to everybody in some way, shape, or form. And it, and it shows up in my camera collection a little bit. Some of what I collect is a little bit esoteric. Some of it is sort of high-end. Um, I do not and have not collected any Leicas. I don't own one. Um, in fact, I, I can't even think of a time when I've actually used a Leica, uh, which uh, hopefully that experience will change uh, maybe at some point in my life. But um, no, no Leicas in, in this, in this uh, collection. Uh, nothing even, um, well, I shouldn't say that because I do have several cameras that that emulate the, the earlier, the Barnack Leicas, and um, obviously that's the, the Soviet, the Fed line, and the Zorkis. Um, so I, again, my collection is made up sort of regionally. Um, I started um, investing my time and energy into my camera collection with the Soviet cameras and the former Soviet Union camera line. Um, and I do hope, um, without any serious uh, name dropping, but it, it happens. And I've already done it, I believe, on this podcast, so what the heck. Um, I hope to have Vlad Kern on the show um, to talk to him about um, what seems to be a collection which now has sort of entered another plane of existence. Uh, I'm not sure it functions on the same uh, plane that we all function on. I think the collection uh, is something that you have to step into sort of a portal uh, in order to absorb in its um, girth, let's just say. Um, and uh, Vlad is a really interesting and um, a really nice person. And um, I'd love to be able to sit down and chat with him about um, the collection and how it's uh, sort of a, um, uh, a liaison to USSR photo and um, sort of everything that sort of triangulates from that point. Um, so my, my initial connection was um, through the Soviet cameras. And, and I got to say, you know, we wonder where the, this interest lies. You know, we, we look at our camera collection and we say, well, why do I, you know, what is, what is it that drew me to 
Uh, you know, this camera brand, or you know, why do I like Kodak, early Kodak cameras so much, or is it the investment in the history, and so on and so forth. And I got to say, um, if there's one thing that drew me to anything, it was my lineage drawing me to the Soviet Union and the Soviet cameras. Um, <clears throat> I recently uh, went through the process of uh, looking into my uh, lineage using the 23andMe uh, system, and uh, there were no surprises when it was returned. Um, when I opened up my uh, my my background little thing that uh, sort of a it's sort of a pie chart that shows where everybody is from that you're connected to. 99.7 percent. Ashkenazic Jewish. So my entire existence essentially comes from the PAL settlement. Uh, and thus, when I uh, first encountered the Soviet uh, camera line um, and the cameras that were made uh, in that area, uh, I immediately felt connected to them. Um, and, I, and I knew that, that it had something to do with that. I, I have um, you know, relatives and family and things like that who, who emigrated from, from uh, Russia and Poland. Um, and that includes, uh, you know, several family members who uh, had lost their family members in the Holocaust and so on and so forth. Uh, so when I um, uh, began to collect these cameras, um, my connection to them was obviously um, uh, a little bit more um, sort of emphatic. Uh, I can't quite say otherwise, other than uh, my interest was almost immediate. And uh, the, the collection grew from um, fed cameras, uh, the three, the four, the five, back to looking at the original fed, the one, a um, couple fed twos. I have a full line of Zorky cameras. Um, I have, uh, you know, Kievs and um, medium format Kievs. I have a full line of um, the Kiev 10 and 15 SLRs, which are fascinating. And I would love to have a discussion about the technology that went into those cameras. I know that Mike Ekman did a review of the, uh, it was either the 10 or the 15. And um, I think I sent him uh, a diagram showing the, um, the complex shutter mechanism that was incorporated into these cameras, which um, he um, included into his review, and I was, I was really happy to see that. Um, it, is, it is that kind of um, detail that draws me to camera collecting. The fascination with the technology that went into the metal shutter um, of the Kiev 10 and 15 that I find um, uh, almost overwhelming when I think about it. And, and it prompts me to, to really look at the history and wonder exactly what it was that, that drove the, the technology in that direction. So it's very interesting. Um, I'm kind of referencing some photos here on my own just to make sure that I don't forget anything. So the, 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 I have to say that the, the sort of the Soviet stuff is covered. Everything from 35 millimeter half frame, uh, 120, um, um, the, the entire range is pretty much um, locked in. Um, and I have some unusual ones like the Leningrad and the, 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 uh, the Drug. The Drug. Um, obviously nothing on the level of, of USSR photo. 
Um, but I like to think that um, I'm comfortable with this collection and it gives me great joy to kind of look at these cameras and shoot with them and um, just sort of have them. So the collection then sort of varies. Um, there is quite a few German offerings. Um, there's Voigtlander and um, uh, I also collect East German um, Exacta and um, Practica. Some of you may have seen a recent photograph of the three Practinas that I own. Um, and uh, this is something that I would love to talk about with um, a collector. I know there are several of you out there who are very specifically can address the lineage and the history of um, the Pentacon and the Practica line. This is something that I find um, fascinating. Uh, uh, I, I think the, the, um, the history of the photographic um, um, manufacturing system is, is, a, is really interesting to see how it deviated, how it split, how the, um, the effect of the war um, you know, changed the course of camera technology. Um, who was sort of a part of who and then who became somebody else's competition. It's really something that um, is worth sitting down and talking about and having a camera to represent the, um, the, 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 the moment when these, um, these entities uh, existed um, is really worthwhile and I think um, something to be um, uh, considered. Um, so that includes uh, a wide range of cameras. Obviously, um, I do own um, a, a line of Japanese cameras, and this is where it gets sort of um, interesting. Um, I, I don't collect um, Nikons. In fact, I don't have any Nikon camera in my collection. Um, I don't have any Canon cameras. Um, I, you, I had Canon when I was in college. At RIT, I had a, um, an F1, an A1, an EF, a, a line of lenses. Um, but for, for the collection as it stands right now, um, there's, there's very little that I would have to say sort of mainstreams. Um, there are some that kind of float to the top of that, but nothing as distinct as, well, here is my Nikon FM, here is my Canon EF, uh, nothing, nothing along those lines. In fact, the closest thing that I have to Canon are uh, a couple of macro lenses that I use on my Sony A7 um, in order to uh, photograph negatives for uh, digitizing and for um, in lieu of using a flatbed scanner. And um, the closest thing, ironically, that I have to a Nikon would be a um, Kiev um, a 19. And um, uh, that was uh, recently um, handed over to Mark Beadle so that he can use it um, to his joy and edification. Um, I have no Nikon lenses. Um, I didn't need the camera in my collection. Uh, he had recently had a Nikon, uh, I'm sorry, a Kiev 19 fail on him. So I volunteered mine and um, hopefully it was taking some very nice photographs at this point. Um, so the, the, the Japanese line is littered over a couple different um, brands, and this is where I sort of get down to the nitty-gritty of, the, of the, the masses, per se. I, I have a thing for Petri's. Now, 
Um, I know a lot of you um, at this point um, don't even want the name Petri incorporated in any sentence that has to do with your camera collection simply because they are bereft with problems. The, um, the issues that surround them in terms of their manufacturing uh, is legendary. Um, you know, they began as something that was sort of stable and well, well built and then it sort of drove in a direction which was uh, incompetent and sort of falling apart to the point where you, you couldn't depend on them at all. Um, but there's something about them that I, I cannot um, sort of un describe. Um, I love the aesthetic of them. Um, um, Mike Ekman did a review of the Petri Penta um, with the Oracore, the lens, the 52. And um, as soon as I saw it, I knew that I, I needed to find a, a, a copy of my own, which uh, eventually I did. And it needed repair, and I was fortunate to be able to open the thing up and repair it. And it, it stands as sort of the, um, the center point, the centerpiece for my Petri collection. And um, I, I couldn't be happier with what I was able to obtain up to this point. So I have a, a nice collection of, uh, quote, the Greenomatic cameras. Um, I have some of the SLRs. Um, you know, I have the, um, the, the Petriflex 7 with the, the kind of the bullseye meter up top. Um, and I'm very happy with them. And I'm proud to say that they're part of my collection. Um, on the flip side of that, I also have an affinity for Ricoh cameras. Um, and I have um, invested time and energy um, and uh, finances into um, obtaining some of the uh, line of the Ricoh rangefinders, the 500, the 519, which is a lovely camera. And um, I also have a, uh, the three represents, representatives of the Ricolette, that is the, the, the original Ricolette, the Ricolette S, and the Ricolette II. So hopefully, um, I can find a collector out there who would be um, interested in sitting down and talking about the history of Ricoh and um, their range find, their early rangefinders. Um, so that kind of leads me around to um, some more of the, the sporadic brands that I have. Um, I do like, um, I have a few Mirandas, examples of Mirandas. I have a one Pentax in my uh, collection. It's an early um, S1, I believe, um, or H1. I can't remember. I'll have to look that up. Uh, it is an early um, incarnation of the Pentax SLR uh, coming in the late 50s. And um, I have um, two Olympuses, or should I say Olympi, in my collection. Both are half frames. One is the, the uh, remarkable and fascinating pen. I have a pen F and a pen FT. And the other is uh, one of the more common um, half frames, um, the sort of the point and shoot half frames with the selenium meter in the lens. Um, so um, that sort of kind of brings me around to uh, the beginning. I mean, I have um, like I said, a smattering of other brands kind of tossed in there, here and there. Um, occasionally, I will take a photograph of one of the more esoteric ones and post it. Uh, sometimes I'll sort of group together something that we all do. 
uh, as collectors. I think uh, we all invest some time in, in realizing that uh, if we're going to collect them, why not show them to people? And if we're going to show them to people, then we need a suitable way of photographing them. So um, I have a, a Havox light box, which I like to use for my, my uh, photography of my cameras. Um, and then I have a workbench. Um, as I said before, um, I do work on my own cameras and lenses. And um, this ranges um, everything from um, wildly successful to um, a dismal failure. It depends on uh, what I have attempted. There have been some real successes there. Um, there was a, um, a Zeiss 180 millimeter sonar which um, was stuck on wide open. This seems to be a, a fairly common issue with these lenses. Um, it was extraordinarily inexpensive. Um, as soon as I got it, I opened it up and I have to say, and this is not, um, you know, uh, in any way showing my talent as a repair person or anything like that, but I was able to repair the lens in um, a day, and now I have a fully functioning Zeiss 180 millimeter sonar um, in P6 mount. So it uh, sits, goes perfectly on my, um, my Pentacon, um, uh, my Kiev 60, and my 6C, my uh, Kiev 88CM, and I have a mount that lets me put it on my Xacta. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun and um, I was lucky to be able to get that camera and make the repair. And then finally, sort of rounding out the whole thing is um, the, the ephemera that I keep referring to and which is sort of the heartbeat of this um, podcast. I have um, the boxes which, you know, that, that is something that, you know, my wife looks at these boxes and she sort of scratches her head and she, she says, you know, why? Why do you want these boxes when you have the cameras? And, and I can only say that it is the, the camera boxes that really connect me historically to these things. I mean, they, the, this was a time when a lot of these cameras really appeared and were sold in fairly ornate, um, you know, representations for, for marketing purposes. Um, and uh, so I have a, a nice collection of boxes, and then I have the associated uh, ephemera, which appears in, in advertising and in um, instruction manuals and guides. I've always um, been amazed at what um, Xacta released with their cameras. I mean, not only uh, were you given a, um, a, a, an instruction manual, obviously, but there's several Xacta guides, which uh, can be accompanied um, a, a camera purchase that talk about the process of photography and how their camera line fits into that process. And it is these kinds of connections which continue to sort of push the notion of film photography forward and allow us to examine all the facets of this, not just you know, I have a camera, I'm going out to shoot with it, I'm going to put this kind of film in it, I'm going to develop it this way, but, you know, here is where the, the camera's um, uh, connection to history comes from. This is where it began, and this is what we have as evidence of that existence. So, I think it's important that um, this kind of discussion continues, um, and I'd like to say, and I certainly hope, that the, um, the ephemeral machine 
allows for that to happen and becomes a, um, you know, a conduit for this sort of information. And I hope that listeners will stay um, uh, connected in, 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 uh, in a way that allows them to appreciate um, the nuances and, as I said, the intricacies of, of this kind of art form. And as far as I'm concerned, camera collecting is an art form because there are so many elements to the way that a, that a collection is managed that um, it becomes a process. And I think that process has an uh, artistic quality to it. Um, and uh, that sort of kind of uh, rounds out my, um, my collection. This is a very brief overview. Um, and it was still fairly long, I think. Um, and, and I know that um, in, in many cases, this collection pales in comparison to many of those that are out there. Um, in some cases, perhaps maybe it's more than some of um, what collectors are, are working with or still um, developing. Um, but I feel good about it, what it represents in terms of the, the kind of connections that I make to film photography. And, and I'd like to think that this forum will allow for the continued exploration and focus on what film photography collecting means to us as a group. Um, it, it, it's, it's by no means an accident that there are several face group, Facebook groups that are focused on this particular idea. And, um, you know, we all sort of know each other from a lot of these groups, and some of us don't, and some of us hopefully will be introduced to others through this, uh, through those uh, Facebook groups and perhaps through this forum. But I'd like to think that um, this podcast will function uh, tangentially. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll exist as a way to um, sort of offset the, um, the momentary experience of looking at a camera that's been posted on Facebook um, with a, a longer uh, investigation of a camera brand, an investigation of its history, an investigation of, a, of the ephemera that connect us to the momentary existence of whatever it is that surrounds that camera's mystique and um, uh, uh, sort of allow this forum to evolve and grow. Uh, so I think that's it for today. Um, this was a lengthy um, part two or one uh, A, um, but I did feel like, um, you know, I sort of was left with wanting to say more. And the, the, first, the first episode was, was a um, very, very formal introduction. I mean, I scripted it for a reason, because I wanted to make sure that I covered all the bases of, of that presentation, the introduction to what I hope to achieve uh, with this podcast. It's, it's very uh, dear to me. Um, I've invested a lot of time and energy into my collection. And um, I, I think it's important for us to be able to um, sit down and talk to, to those who uh, have that kind of investment and look at the film camera as something uh, remarkable, uh, not only just functional and um, with the ability to capture th those moments, um, but to provide access 
uh, in terms of design and aesthetics to a time uh, when um, you know we were sort of associating um, the, the the particular idea of the film camera as a functional tool. Um, so I think I'll end it there. Um, and uh, I, I will say that I am um, putting together future podcasts um, with um, some very interesting um, collectors. Um, and um, I, I don't know exactly where this will lead, um, but I certainly hope that it leads us uh, down a path that uh, provides interest uh, and education. Um, if you want to contact me, um, this time I'm going to remember to say all that stuff. Um, I'm actually on Instagram personally. My personal Instagram page is Kiev Michael. That's K I E V M I C H A E L. Some of you have followed me there and can see some of my photography. Uh, the Instagram page for the Ephemeral Machine is the Ephemeral Machine. Um, you can catch the podcast Facebook page. Uh, that would be the Ephemeral Machine Podcast on Facebook. So if you swing by there and uh, you feel like clicking on the like button or the follow button, um, that would be um, greatly appreciated. And uh, you can also email me. That's another one now. Uh, so that's the ephemeral machine at gmail.com. I welcome your observations, your letters, your perspective, your suggestions, um, anything related to film camera collecting. I'd love to hear from you. And um, I appreciate the support up to this point, and I'm really excited uh, to see where uh, this podcasts lead. So, without further ado, um, I bid you a good day, and um, I thank you for listening. Uh, see you next time on the Ephemeral Machine.